Okay, good to see you. Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. I'm going to try something a little different tonight since uh, we, most of us, I think, if not all of us, have a pretty good idea of Daniel and the lion's den. I thought we would highlight some of the lessons of it and dive right on into chapter 7 because these next number of chapters are a whole lot more detailed and I want to make sure get this all settled here. <laughs> I want to make sure that uh, we have a good, uh, we're able to spend a good amount of time when we get into the uh, more difficult parts of the book of Daniel. Uh, so in, in, in chapter 6 here, uh, the first thing that you will uh, notice is that um, Darius the Mede, chapter 5, verse 31, has received the kingdom, emphasis on received. You know, the book of Daniel is always telling us that God is the one who's doing these things. He didn't take it over. He received it. And, uh, and so the Babylonian Empire has fallen uh, in favor of the Medo-Persian Empire. And that would be in what year that, the, that Babylon fell and the Medes and the Persians took over? 539, okay. And what year is it that Cyrus gives the decree and allows uh, Jews to return to Jerusalem? 40. Not me. <laughs> Somebody just died. Wow. <laughs> Something wrong? Okay. Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Wasn't this? Radioactive. <laughs> Radioactivity. <laughs> uh, okay, so the year that Israel came out of captivity and went back to Jerusalem, the first, first return out of captivity was the year what? 536. Log that away in your head. You have to know it. This is where God put those blank pages in the front of your Bible so you could write things that he was hard to remember. That's an important one. <laughs> important. Okay. So we, here we are uh, at, at 539, and Darius is set over the kingdom. Uh, Sarah has informed me that the actual uh, pronunciation of Darius is Darush. Darush. There you go. So if we would like to do Daryush here in this class, we could do that. Uh, I might just stick with Darius. <clears throat> All right. So anyway, he takes over, sets up over the kingdom. You'll notice in verse 2, he puts over the three high officials. Daniel seems to be the head of these officials that all the others have to give account to. And he distinguishes himself above all the other officials uh, that are in the kingdom because he has this excellent spirit in verse 3. And notice at the end of verse 3, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This may have been what triggers then the other uh, counselors, rulers, uh, satraps, etc. And so in verse 4, 
they, these high officials get together and seek a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find any connection with the law of his God. Let's, let's stop there and just talk about that. Let's throw out a couple of couple of lessons. What would you say is a couple of good lessons from verse four and five that we should learn from? Yeah, no accusations, no blame can be set upon you. Good. So, uh, and, and Peter mentions this, by the way, in First Peter chapter four, verse fifteen and sixteen. Don't let anybody suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anybody suffers as, what's he say? Christian. Let him glorify God in that name. This seems to be the idea here, isn't it? So, if you, if, if somebody's going to get blame on you, let it not be anything other than your service to God. Uh, and, and I think that should be highlighted even more in our society today as things move more and more secular direction and evil begins to rise up even more. We need to, to, to number one, make sure our life is, is uh, without blame. But number two, that if there is going to be found blame, it can only be in our service to God. And that's, that's where they, they realize that's the only way we're going to get him. Which, by the way, illustrates... Genesis 3.15, the offspring of the serpent must destroy the offspring of the woman. <laughs> and you see it all the way through Scripture. And if you ever wonder, why are they going after us? We're not in their way. Ah, but they are the offspring of the serpent. And the offspring of the serpent must kill Cain. I mean, must kill Abel and all the offspring that are like him. And that's what it's all about. Drew. Reading this feels a little intimidating because you're like, I can't really be that way and live in a way that is without mistake. And I don't think that this means that Daniel never made a mistake, no. but more of how he would own and say, hey, you're right. It's not like quickly uh, repent or turn from and own mistakes that he made. And so in that way, you can't actually hold anything against him. Not that he's flawless, but even the way that he handles mistakes that he makes, I think then leads you to this thing that says, well, the only thing we can actually hold against him that's sticky yeah. is stuff with God. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you, you're saying that um, gives thought to when somebody decides to run for president, what, what does the media tend to do? They dig up everything they can find. We found when he was 16 years old. <laughs> he took a girl out and just dumped her on the side of the road. You know, I don't know, whatever. They, they come up with something and, and they dig up all the stuff they can dig up. Uh, and it's just, so here's Daniel. They're trying to dig things up and they can't dig anything up. If they had had a computer, that might have been easier. <laughs> So they think he's going to be sure. corrupt yeah. because he's a leader and politics right. are corrupt. That, that's, that's exactly right. That's the way to look at it. 
All right, so very good, good, good lesson right there. So they, they realize that that can be, and as you know, so what they do is they decide to go to Darius and say, look, why don't you, uh, let's, make a, let's make a law that nobody, verse 7, can uh, make a petition to any god or any man or anybody for 30 days except you, O king. And uh, now, king, you know, you need to establish this document and sign it so that it cannot be changed by the law of the Medes and the Persians. Verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the document and injunction. What do you think encouraged Darius to, to sign this? Why, why would they, he fall for this? Then this seems like a great idea, and if you're a king, what do you happen to like, Mark? In order to solidify allegiance to the king, okay. um, it's fairly new king, I guess. Yeah, I mean, new king, solidified allegiance to the king. I'm sure this you got to have a little bit of maybe arrogance on the part of the king. Hey, that sounds pretty good. Nobody can ask, talk to, ask anything of any god or anybody else but me. After all, I'm the big guy around here. Let's, uh, let's have fun with that. And that's why you have counselors, because they come and try to uh, guide you. And so maybe he feels new at this, and he's just going to follow it. At any rate, he signs the document. And, uh, and of course, verse 10, very key verse, when Daniel Daniel knew that the document had been signed. So very clearly, when he knew it, what's he going to do? He went to his house where he had windows in his upper room, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. It's not like he goes, okay, let me go out in the, you know, the open court and make a big play of this. He just does what he's always done. But what doesn't he also, what, what also doesn't he do? Pardon? Yeah, he, yeah. Could, could he have prayed without them knowing it? <laughs> well, duh. I think I wonder if a lot of us wouldn't have, well, you can't stop me from praying. I can still pray. There's, uh, I mentioned to you uh, a couple of months ago about a woman standing in, in Britain or in England, well, in London, outside of an abortion clinic. And she was just standing there, not moving her lips or anything. And she was praying in her mind. And a cop came up and said, are you praying? And she said, yes. And he said, cuffing you, you're taking you away. You're not allowed to stand up in front of a abortion clinic and pray. And, uh, and so they took her and arrested her and, and the whole thing. And uh, fortunately, uh, two months later, it got thrown out. Uh, the law was you can't stand out in front of abortion in England there. The law was you couldn't stand out in front of an abortion clinic and speak to anybody or, or object or, or put up signs or uh, do any of those things. But she wasn't doing any of those things. She was actually praying in her mind. Well, that was enough to get her arrested uh, even there. And fortunately, it did, it did get thrown out. But there's, I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning that to say uh, we, still have, we still have people trying to do these kinds of things. <clears throat> Yeah. 
the answer is to revolt and to try to change the law when really the answer is just keep living how you're living. Well, after all, we're Americans and we grew up like John Wayne and we're taking care of this. <laughs> it is, you know, that's right. You know, it's just something about how America got started. It's like, we're not putting up with this. Here we go. Uh, Jesus doesn't do that either. Pardon? Jesus doesn't do that either. No, 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 no. He doesn't go to the Roman government and no. say, do you know what all the stuff you're doing? Yeah. He, he talks to people who should know what they should be doing. Yeah, yeah. He just... Goes about his business, going to do what he's supposed to do, and that's the way. If you call, if you call on him to give a defense, he's going to give a defense. Paul certainly did many times, but uh, that's the way it is. But he's going to do just what he's always done. He's not going to make a big show, just doing what he's always done. Um, <clears throat> I uh, had written down as well. Uh, if such a, uh, if our government gave such a decree. Uh, banned us from praying or worshiping for 30 days, how would we respond? Hmm. Mara. Daniel always had the option of praying less. He wasn't forced to. If something he's always done, he could have been like, oh, we're just feeling more quiet for a little yeah. But instead, he was fully getting steadfast uh, over about love for God. Yeah. And he gave thanks. I mean, after he knew that this was going on, he gave thanks in a fourth land we need to really look at Daniel's example here because we've already had government make laws about our meeting together and things and we need to be aware of this Sure. But he also did it just because that's what he's that's what he's going to do. He's not going to stop worshiping God just because a secular king says stop worshiping God. Uh, that's where God's law supersedes man's law. Uh, Daniel is going to be the greatest servant around to the king, but if you pull this, he's he's going to quietly just go about it, as Michael said. He's not going to pick it or do any of those things. All right. So anyway, these guys, of course, uh, bring this before Darius and say, you know, you you're going to have to you're going to have to throw him in the lion's den. And Darius tries all all he can to get him loose, but he can't figure it out because the dumb law of the Medes and the Persians. Have you ever thought about thought up? A how, how do you live in a government where if you make a, a law, you can never change it? <laughs> like, this is brilliant. <laughs> uh, brilliant humanity here. Uh, at any rate, so into the lion's den he goes. Uh, stone is brought at verse 17. Laid at the mouth of the den, king seals it with own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing may be changed concerning Daniel. Does this begin to remind you of something in the New Testament? Pardon? That, that this whole story, you can just parallel about 15 different things that are parallels 
to the later Jesus. Jesus is found innocent, hadn't done anything wrong. They convict him anyway by, you know, on and on and on, and even the tomb scene, uh, et, et cetera. So very, very soon. So verse 18, then the king went to his palace, spent the night fasting, no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Uh, how, how do you think Daniel was doing with his sleep? I bet he saw logs. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> he's, he's using one of those kitty cats as a pillow. That's, that's just about it. All right, so uh, Daniel, he, he's fine. The king, he can't sleep. Gets up very early in the morning. The break of day, makes haste to the den. Look at verse 20. And he came near the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And then, of course, he's brought back up out of the pit. And uh, you have a resurrection picture here, by the way, just like you would uh, with Christ. And then verse 24, And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they and their children and their wives. And, be, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in, in pieces. And then you see Darius giving this decree, kind of sounds like Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, wrote to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall, shall be, uh, of his dominion there should be no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and earth. And he has saved Daniel from the power. He has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, uh, the, the Persian. So, what would you say the message? What would be a primary message just of chapter six here? If you are one of the people in captivity, if you're those who are serving God in hopeless times, remember there's no Israel, they have, you know, they're, they're in, in this situation in captivity, what would this be an encouragement to do? God's with yeah, don't, don't wobble, <laughs> don't waver. God's going to be with you. Uh, God is going to ultimately deliver you. Uh, no doubt, when we read the book of Revelation, we see there's certainly going to be times when you're going to be put to death for the cause of Christ, but, but uh, there will be deliverance, and uh, you, don't, you don't have to worry. God is the king. God is the judge, and he is ruling. And so don't, don't, don't wiggle. <laughs> and that's an important message, obviously, for us today. Anything else? Daniel 6. I know. I just, I just don't understand why in that time the children have to suffer. You know, they, they, yeah. they threw them in the den too. They threw the wives and the, yeah. all the princes and the side that. But we all know the wives probably go to these guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I know. It, 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 it is that. Things have changed that much. But remember, 
this was not a, this was a decree of the king. It is not a decree of God necessarily here. This is the decree of the king. But there have been decrees where God said kill the children as well. And the primary reason is because the children are going to grow up and be like the adults. And, and actually he saved the children. These children are going to be, they're, they're going to be with the Lord. And so uh, it, it's, it's interesting and that's the best I know to talk about it. Uh, God, God can tell us a little more about it <laughs> when we get there. Anything else? Daniel 6. Yes. Yeah, he prospered how? I don't think Daniel cared a whit about any money prospering. He prospered because he, he was blessed in the kingdom. You know, this is probably the first time, especially after this event, it's probably the first time in his life where he, he actually lived in pretty good peace <laughs> and not worried about the king doing something goofy uh, to him and things. But uh, he, he had... Had a pretty good, these final days, who knows how long that was. We don't know what year he would have died, but at any rate. Good, good, good long life, lived in captivity, and Daniel seemed quite content for all of that. All right. But of what? We don't necessarily think of prosperity that way. Yes. Prosperity. Good His prosperity is through yeah. the goodness of God and not through right. Yeah, remember in the previous chapter when he was offered by Belshazzar all the gold and silver and third ruler and the king says, keep it. <laughs> keep it. I'm not interested in that business. Yeah, that's an entirely different thing. All right, yeah. That's, a, that's an excellent point. Uh, it uh, is uh, always something that I've thought of all my life of not getting to an age and saying, okay, I can check out. Uh, you know, you, you, want to, you want to go down giving all your strength that you can to the Lord. You're going to lose some of your strength without doubt, but give what you've got. And, uh, and I, I think that's a valuable valuable message. Sure. Okay, chapter 7 uh, uh, begins here in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, and Daniel now sees a dream. Now, chapter 7 is a key division, of course, in this book, six chapters, six chapters. Uh, these last six chapters, 7 through 12, are going to be about Daniel's visions. 1 through 6 was about visions kings received and events that kings went through and what kings did and how Daniel handled it. But now it's going to be Daniel's visions. He's going to receive visions and he's going to seek interpretations from these visions, uh, of these visions from uh, from God and through angels. So we, you see that change of pace here, okay? Uh, so every, everything's different. Uh, gone back to the first year of Belshazzar, there's estimates about when that was, anywhere between 550 and 553 B.C. 
nobody can, everybody's got an opinion of somewhere in that territory. But 550 to 553 BC, uh, or 553 to 550 BC, the better way to say it, uh, is, is about the time period here. So uh, Belshazzar reigning somewhere around 11 to 13 years, something of that nature. All right. So Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. So we have the dream listed here that uh, goes down through verse 14. So let's, let's read this and uh, we'll make a couple of points here and ask for your input as we go through. So verse 2, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out, up out of the sea, different from one another. Okay, who's stirring up? Okay, possibly so. There are four winds of heaven which are stirring up the great sea. So these could be uh, uh, spiritual forces, uh, something like this. Um, wonder if these spiritual forces are good or evil forces. Um, three, four great beasts come up out of the sea. And these beasts are good or bad, as you probably know. They're, they're, they're going to be four kingdoms, just like the four kingdoms that you saw back in chapter 2 with the great image. So here's an interesting contrast. The, the image picture, which had the four same kingdoms of Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, you can see the same kingdoms here. But in chapter 2, the kingdoms were talked about in, in accordance with their uh, strength, their power, and, their, and, and somewhat of uh, their, their character, gold and silver. And, uh, and then the uh, third one is bronze. bronze. Is it bronze? I, well, the fourth one is, is that's right, third bronze, and then iron and clay. I'm mixing that up. So you have the, the kind of the quality there. But this, this vision seems to reflect more the, uh, the, the evilness of these empires and what they do. And it's going to especially concentrate on the fourth kingdom. So he's going to skip over some of these pretty rapidly, but what Daniel wants to know about is Daniel probably wants to know about this fourth kingdom that's coming up because the fourth kingdom is a nasty kingdom. It's really different than the others, and it's going to do a lot of, uh, a lot of bad things. So uh, that's the idea. By the way, comes up out of the sea. So I'm, uh, since we're, uh, Lord willing, planning on, on Sunday nights, I'm planning on... Uh, doing Revelation on the Sunday nights that I have available uh, next year. And so Daniel is a setup for this. And so when you see beasts coming up out of the sea, log that away. When we get to Revelation 13, you're going to see beasts coming up out of the sea. And in Revelation 13, it's the dragon that stands there and calls the beast up out of the sea. And when you get to uh, chapter 21, when you have the new heavens and new earth, it'll say, and there's no longer any sea. Yay, no longer any beast climbing up out of the sea to 
conquer people and do all kinds of terrible things. So the sea seems to be the culture. And you go down to the ocean and you watch the ocean hit the waves and it's all frothing up and, you know, all these kinds of things. You just imagine that this is the way our worldly culture is. You, we see it, we live it, everything's frothing up, everything's going up and down. You got moments of peace. Sometimes you go down the ocean, hardly any waves, and it's flat. Sometimes you go down, and it's just hurling uh, waves and power everywhere, and, and things are being destroyed, and etc. And, and that's the way society is. It just comes like that. So he's picturing, then, the work of the devil, the work of spiritual forces in the heavenly places and they froth up these things and we'll see later there are angels behind this so it's going to be going to be interesting to to see that all right questions comments on that we good Okay, and then verse 4, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I, as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. How is that, how is that description remind you of Nebuchadnezzar? God raised that Nebuchadnezzar up. That's, that's true. So here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's pictured like a lion, and he's got wings, and then the wings get snipped, and then he stands up like a human. Ideas? What that means? Chapter 4. Okay, well, that's the, it is a description of him, chapter 4. But how, how, what does it mean that his wings get clipped and he stands up like a human? from what you know from chapter 4. He was humbled. Yeah. And he was like everybody else. Yeah, he gets humbled. God, God brings him back to earth, and instead of being a lion with wings and all of this, now he stands up like a human. He's been humbled. He's given the, the mind of a, of a human. Uh, he went through this whole thing like a beast, and then now he's, he's been humbled and all this. And so you see <coughs> that picture here uh, that seems to be given. Very powerful lion, wings, can fly, etc., but... Uh, he gets arrogant and God brings him down. And then uh, verse 5, and behold another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told to rise and devour much flesh. So here, second empire is Persia, right? And, uh, and notice this bear, it rises up on one side. The Persian segment of the empire was more powerful than the Mede segment of the empire. And that's probably what he's referring to here. He raises up on one side. He's got ribs in his mouth. He's chawing down. He's eaten and he's told to consume a bunch of, uh, consume human flesh. And so, uh, of course, as any empire did, they'd go around uh, whacking people and conquering and, and, and stuff like that. All right, and then verse 6, and after this, uh, I looked in another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. All right, this is the Greece, that's right, Greek empire. Who is the one who 
led the Greek Empire. He's got it all power. Alexander the Great. So he's, he's very powerful. He's like a leopard. Man, he, he just swept across and uh, was able to conquer the world in a matter of very few years. And right at his peak, uh, he actually goes to the site of Babylon, gets a high fever and dies. And leaves his empire to four of his captains. All right, and we'll deal with more of those four captains when we get uh, uh, later in the book. Okay, we'll see, see a lot of it in chapter 8. But he's going to do those, he'll have four captains that come out of that and the empire will be divided between those four captains and that's obviously then what is being referred to here with the four heads that this beast has. Then verse 7, and after this I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up from them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. And as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair is of his head like pure wool. His throne was, a fiery, was, was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Before him, a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, the books were open, and I looked. And then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. All right, so you get this picture of the fourth empire. What's different about this empire? For this picture. There's more description of it. That's yeah, all, all, so all more time on it. Okay, good. What is different also from the f first three beasts? Ten horns and other horns. Yeah, yeah he doesn't even describe, he doesn't even tell you what kind of beast it is. You had lion and you had bear and you had leopard. And this was just, just diverse uh, from all of these. And you're going to see this in the book of Revelation. Revelation 13, he's going to speak of this fourth beast coming up out of the sea and how it looks. And it's going to have the qualities of some of the previous. But he does say something about this beast that's different than the others. It's just different. This one is going to do different things than the other ones, which is going to become evident what that is as we get on down uh, in the text. So you have ten horns and then what happens? Get this, this little horn comes up and he's a mean little thing. <laughs> and he plucks out three of them. Now by the way, when you get to Revelation, you're going to see this exact same picture, except it's going to mention seven horns. It's going to leave out the three that were plucked up. 
And we'll deal with that when we get in our study in Revelation. But what you're going to see is they're the exact same. It's, there's a parallel to this. Probably this little horn is not just one king, but a, a, um, uh, a symbol of all the persecuting emperors that rise up. Because there's going to be all these kings that rise up, these emperors that rise up from Augustus all the way over to Nero. But primarily it's going to be the kings following Nero. They're going to put a worldwide dominion going on and uh, are going to involve themselves in persecution. And this, this little horn that's speaking these nasty things and, uh, and fighting against Christians and all that. That's, that's the one that's highlighted and that's the one that's highlighted in Revelation as well. Well, questions, comments. Okay. Well, when we when and I didn't I was I decided I wouldn't list these, but I'll do them next week. I'll have the kings listed for you. But there are three kings that come and go very very rapidly. Um, right uh, after Nero, when Nero dies, there are th there are three kings before Jerusalem is even destroyed. And most of the empire doesn't even know they took the kingdom. And then they die, take the, another one takes the kingdom, they get killed, another one takes the kingdom. And, and so it's boom, boom, boom. They're, they're, they're nobody kings, basically. And most of the empire, because of the way, you know, you didn't put it on Facebook, uh, <laughs> nobody even knew they were reigning. And uh, so actually word got, Jerusalem was being uh, attacked uh, by Titus in 60, around 69, 68, 69, and he gets word almost two years later, a year later anyway, he gets word that Nero's dead and there's been another king rise up and all this and so he cuts off his fight against Jerusalem and goes back to Rome and then uh, then, or, uh, then comes back, Vespavian, I said it wrong, not Titus, Vespavian doesn't, he sends Titus back for the final destruction of uh, Jerusalem. But anyway, there's these three little ones here and we'll deal with that more when we get to Revelation. Here in Daniel, you just want to be aware of this presence. I'm sorry, could I miss it? Did you know five about Persia? What's the next Verse five being Persia, it's the next empire that takes over. Right. Yeah, and you see the same thing. These And these are described in chapter two, in the image of chapter two. These are described as kingdoms that rule over all the earth. That's the key. So it limits it. It's not talking about, you know, Philistines or some. It's talking about the kingdoms, the empires that rule over the face of the earth. So that's, that's right. That's how you know. Okay. Um, so uh, anyway, you, you see all of that. And then judgment begins. Verse 9 through 12, you see this judgment. God sitting on the throne. He's going to judge these, these empires and especially this final empire. Verse 13 and 14, here's the pic, final picture of the judgment. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given 
given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one which will not be destroyed. Okay, so here is one like the Son of Man. Not hard to figure out who this is, obviously. Referring to Jesus and he's given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages serve him. When was Jesus presented with the kingdom? In fact, this text, you don't even think something else. This text tells you when Jesus was presented with the power and dominion and the kingdom. No, no, in this text, what, I mean, don't, don't try to go even historically. Just use this text and say, when did Jesus receive the kingdom? When was it presented to him? At his ascension. Yeah. We are looking at it, Daniel is looking at it from heaven's point of view. And you see in verse 13, one like the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days. Remember back when I was first preaching and the whole church I had was, were, were Christians who had been Christians a year or less, never studied their Bible in their whole life. I said, who would be the Ancient of Days? And they were just lost. They had, nobody knew who the, the oldest person you can think of, God, you know. <laughs> he, he's the ancient of days. He's the one who's always been. And so when he comes with the clouds to God, when we read about that same incident in Acts 1, we see the disciples and Luke talking about it as him going away with the clouds. And then heaven is on this end of it saying he's seeing him coming with the clouds. And when he gets there, of course, Jesus, uh, Peter preaches this in his sermon in Acts 2. When he gets there, there is given to him a kingdom. And Peter preaches. He's now reigning as king and will reign till all enemies are put under his feet. And so that announcement then uh, is made at that point. And uh, all his kingdom is not going to pass away. It will not be destroyed. And then you see Daniel's uh, answer to this uh, where he's, by the way, son of man. A lot to be said about that. I'll try to say a little bit more next week. But he is the perfect human that no one, everybody else failed. So he's pictured as the son of man, the example for all humanity, but he is the perfect humanity. And of course, you're going to see, we see Jesus referring to himself in the gospel accounts many times as what the son of man is going to do. So briefly picture it that way, but we and uh, we can tell you talk a little bit more about it next time. All right, so verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was with me. It was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there, obviously we had an angels, and, and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. So now the angel's going to give the interpretation, but he's going to primarily talk about this fourth kingdom. These four, these four great beasts, verse 17, are four kings who shall rise up out of the earth. Now you say four kings. The kings represented the kingdoms. Verse 23 actually makes that clear that these are kingdoms. Verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom, possess the kingdom forever and ever. Now, of course, primary message, boom, right there. Here's the deal. It's going to be four kingdoms, but the, but the saints 
are going to be in the kingdom that lasts forever. These are going to bam, bam, bam. They're going to fall just like chapter 2 said. But the saints are going to be in the everlasting kingdom. They will endure forever, uh, forever and ever. And then verse 19, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron. Remember uh, the fourth uh, part of the image back in chapter 2 was iron and clay. So you have that iron again. Teeth of iron, claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped whatever was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up before the three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seem greater than its companions. So Daniel says, that's what I really want to know. And as I look, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. When we get to Revelation, you're going to see those same words. Uh, here is this uh, rise up of this horn that is going to make war against the saints and, and uh, going to do everything to try to just wear them out. Uh, in this verse 22, that's going to go on until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So the rest of this is real critical. This will set up um, some, some very clear passages that you'll see in Revelation chapter 11 and some others uh, with that and where all of this then comes together. Okay? So that's great. We got a good start on that. Much better than I thought my might do. But uh, that'll set up uh, same time, same station uh, next, next week. Very good. <clears throat>